You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Oge Ogwe, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. Do you love Jesus? All right. Say hi to three people around you and sit down. Welcome to church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, sit down, sit down. Welcome to church. It's nice to have you in church. All right, so a couple of things that I want to do before we get into the teaching. The first is this. If you are in church with a physical Bible, not soft copy, physical Bible, raise your hand above your head. Stand up. Francis, it's nice to see you. I was, just, I was remarking this morning that I haven't seen you in church in a while. Welcome. It's nice to see you. So you have your physical Bibles? All right, let's play a very short game. It's called Draw Your Sword. How many of you remember how we played the game? The Draw Your Sword game. So you hold the Bible out, arm's length like that. All right. Thank you. Some people know how to play the game. I love it. All right. So this is the game. I'm going to ask you to draw your sword to one verse of scripture. This one I'm going to do now is just trial. All right. When you get it, you raise your hand. I will call you out and you will read that verse of scripture. Okay? Okay? All right. Open your Bibles to Zephaniah 117. Oh, thank you, Games Master. Please close it back, ma. You know, go vex. You will not be angry. Do not be offended, ma. All right, so let's do it again. Draw your swords. Open your Bibles to Amos 3.3. Open. Okay, let's go again. Last one, final one. Let's be real now, guys. Draw your swords. Open your Bibles to... Isaiah 53, 5. Open. If you have it, raise your right hand. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of his... And with his stripes we are. All right. So you get how it works now, right? Uh, let's do it for real now. Draw your swords. Draw your swords. Like arm's length, like that. Out. Yes. Stretch it. Draw your swords. All right. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15 5. Open. Close it back. Close it back. You wait till I say open before you open. Let's go again. Draw your swords. Arm's length. Arm's length. Let's go. Open your Bibles to. John chapter 3, verse 18. Open. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. <laughs> All right, put your hands together for her. You can sit down. Thank you. All right, praise the Lord. 
Praise the Lord. I think, please put some respect on her name going forward. I don't think even I can open the Bible that fast. All right. All right. Praise the Lord. I bet you didn't know that there was a gift, right? Well, there was a gift. She got the gift. Um, I gave one person gift. Like, I gave one person gift. The entire Christian worship is saying thank you. The devil said, we are so grateful. <laughs> All right, please sit down. Um, Pastor Dan, please remain. Thank you. All right. All right, but this, this one I'm about to do is not a game. I actually want us to do this. I want you to turn to the back of your books. If you're using a, a phone to type, just create a new note. And I want you to write this question. What does God mean to me? What does God mean to me? All right, what does God mean to me? And I'm going to give you one minute. Type your answer out or write your answer out. And be honest with yourself. What does God mean to me? I mean, if I asked you, for those of you in dating relationships, what do your partners mean to you? You can write pages. Some good, some bad. Some somewhere in the middle. But what does God mean to you? How has God treated you? I want you to be so honest because um, there will be times when you will need the answer to this question and so you would revert back to this very question, as you have written it, you just turn to the back of your book and read what you wrote, and you realize this is true in my life. This is actually the truth. Have you written it? Have you written it? All right, praise the Lord. But people are writing love letter to God. Keep it up. I'll give you more time, Pastor Finn. By the way, Pastor Tomoha is in town. Yeah. Welcome back. So, Pastor Tomoha has been away for about a year now. He went to study abroad, so um, he came back to propose to... You have done it now. You have bent the knee. You've, you've knelt down. And they said yes. Congratulations. Where's Latifa? Latifa, please raise your hand at us. Where is she? You are, I will tell you to come. Please come to the front. Let us all see. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But, but congratulations to you guys. We're really, really happy for you guys. Um, we have a wedding to plan, so. We have a wedding to plan does not mean you should shout. It means you should drop money, drop money. Drop money for the people doing wedding. We're so selfish. 
We have a wedding to plan. You've already talked about what you wear, how you enjoy the wedding. The people planning the wedding, you've not thought about how much we give them. We have a wedding to plan means you have people to support for their wedding, okay? Okay? You're not shouting again. We have like, we have like three to plan this year. Um, we have Precious and Ben. Where's Ben? Raise your hand. Wave, wave it. Wave it. Yes, yes. Then we have Dari and Celestina who are not in church. Are they in church? Are they in church? I can't see them. And then right now, just newly added. Amen. Praise the Lord. I don't mean to put you under pressure, but if you are still single, why? I'm just... What now? Ma? Loud, who said louder? I just want to clarify that you are married. Are you married? You are not married. You don't have a right to say louder. Is single or married? Because in a dating relationship, anything is possible. Anything good in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's get into the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 20. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 20. I think today is Pastor Tomorrow's birthday too. Sharp guy. Just sneak it in. So he will never forget his engagement date. When the babe should ask him, when were we engaged? You say, don't worry, I know. When is my birthday again? Alright. In case many of you don't know, that's why I got married the day before my birthday. You never forget. I'm just joking. Alright, but he says, 2 Timothy 2.20, he says, But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of what? Of what? Of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. Um, media team, could you start this from verse 17 for me? Just three verses before. All right. Um, he says, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, verse 18. Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrew the faith of some. For many of you, if you, if you watched, if you followed Teacherson, and um, you, you followed when I was teaching about apostasy. How many of you remember when we talked about apostasy? We thought, we thought about eternal security, Assurance of Salvation, and Apostasy. That teaching is on YouTube. I think the title is Assurance of Salvation. I spoke about those two people, Hymenaeus and Philetus, and we spoke about this um, chapter. And Paul is warning against their actions. And in verse 18, he tells you what their problem is. And if you remember, I told you that these people who um, the Bible refers to as apostates are people who, though they know the truth, subvert the truth. That is, they choose to hide the truth. They choose not to let, they choose to deceive God's people with a lie. And so he says, who concerning the truth have heard, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some, verse 19. It says, nevertheless, the foundation of God is sure or standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Everybody read the next sentence together once you go. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Verse 20, for in a great house, 
There are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Now, this month, we've been doing a teaching series on the Holy Spirit. We talked about the promise of the Spirit. We've talked about the person of the Spirit. We've talked about the purpose or the ministry of the Spirit. And today I want to talk about the practice of the Spirit, consecration. The practice of the Spirit. The Bible says that the testimony of the Lord, the foundation of the Lord, is, it stands sure. And this is a testimony that the Lord knoweth all that are his. And let everyone who names, please could you project that back? And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Because in a great house, there are many vessels. Some vessels are unto honor, some to dishonor. Now, I've taught you several times that the first key way to interpret the Bible is in context. Is that correct? And so you will interpret verse 20 in the context of verse 19. When he talks about everyone naming the name of the Lord, departing from iniquity, and then he goes on to say, because in, the, in a great house there are many vessels, some unto honor and some unto dishonor. It would mean that the distinguishing factor between vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor is the singular thing he named in verse 19, which is what? Iniquity. He says you have vessels of gold and precious stone on one hand, and on the other hand, you have vessels of wood and of hay. All right, and of earth, some to honor, some to dishonor. The vessels of gold and silver will always stand the trial of fire. Do you understand? Now, let me say something, just to interpret this. In another place, Paul says the same thing. And he always does this classification where he classifies vessels of honor as vessels that are made with precious stones, gold and silver. And then he classifies vessels of dishonor as vessels that are made with wood, earth, hay, straw, all of those things. And the reason why he does that is because the Bible tells us that on the last day, each one of us, every one of our works will be tried with fire. And I've explained what happens at the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is not where you go to to decide whether you go to heaven or hell. Um, we, when we were doing the draw your sword, we read John chapter 3 verse 18. And it says that whosoever believes is saved, is not condemned. But whosoever does not believe is condemned when? Already. Which means the judgment for whether we are going to heaven or hell does not happen in heaven. It happens here. Do you understand? When we die, we go by automatic selection. Do you get it? We don't go to heaven and find out we are going to hell. Nobody who is meant to be in hell at the point of death will step foot in heaven. Do you understand? Ah, so we don't go to heaven and then find out, who, so we lined up and then God is sitting there on the big white throne and is like, you, what's your name? Jatarakus, what kind of name is that? Go to hell, go to hell. That, that's not what happens. It's automatic. So when the Bible talks about the judgment seat of Christ, it's not talking about where we go to to find out whether we are going to hell. No. 
And this should put more fear inside of you. Not fear, but reverence. Because when you stand before God, every one of your actions you give accounts for. So that city is a place for accountability. This life you lived, even if you had my son inside of you, even if you had my spirit within you, this life you lived, why did you live it this way? I empowered you for more. Why did you choose to be this way? So Paul says, each one of our works will be tried with fire. Jesus says the same thing. Now, this is the interesting thing about fire and these works that he has been speaking about. Second Timothy, please go back. He says, you have vessels of gold and of silver. The beautiful thing about gold and silver is that when they meet fire, unrefined, they come out refined. Is that correct? The same fire that purifies gold and silver turns wood to ash. Are you getting what I'm saying? So when we stand before God, some actions will become so exalted that even the person who did it will not know that this is the meaning of what I did. I didn't know that what I was doing was this important, this good, this serious before God. But some other actions will become so reduced that the person will wonder, did I ever live my life for God at all? So every one of us must make sure that because we name the name of the Lord, we must depart from iniquity. Paul isn't saying, please take note. He didn't say, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity because if you don't, you will go to hell. Hell must never be used to threaten the believer. Do you understand? The believer never stands at any threat of hell. Do you get it? It's always a joke. If anybody threatens you, um, threatens you with hell, laugh. It's a big joke. Do you understand? List of places I cannot go. Hell, number one. Do you get it? But the reason why everyone who names, or one major reason why everyone who names the name of Christ will depart from iniquity is because we will stand before God. Do you hear me? Let, let, that, let that settle in your mind. You will give account to God. You will stand before God. You will explain. You will ex- that person you've refused to forgive. You will explain it to God. And whenever I talk about forgiveness, I go to the extreme immediately. And I go to the extreme because a lot of people think that many things are forgivable, but there are some things that God will understand if I don't forgive. But you need to understand that if Jesus and God demanded forgiveness from the early church, you know, for Paul, who persecuted them and killed some of their siblings, you don't have an excuse. Think of it. You are in the early church. And, you know, it wasn't like Paul was a low-key murderer. No. He was open about it with his full chest. I'm the one that's killing you. What do you want to do about it? He went round, going home to home, opening doors, dragging out Christians and killing them. And so now imagine you are part of the early church. And your cousin or your distant cousin or your brother was killed by Paul. And then one day, Peter, the apostle, who all of you love and revere, now introduces Paul as the new apostle. No, Peter, no. We respect you, sir. But no, sir, no. Because that would be, how can we forgive this person? 
If God expected forgiveness in the early church, he expects it from you. You're going to give accounts. And let me tell you something. When you see Jesus, none of your excuses will hold water. They may be valid here and now. But when you stand before, you will stutter. You will, you will stutter. That person that your pastor is saying, forgive this person. And you say, no, pastor, you don't know what they've done to me. When you stand before Jesus, Jesus asks, why did you not forgive Mr. X, Y, Z? You will stutter. You won't be able to say, Jesus, you don't know what they did to me. Because in that moment, you would realize that he bore your sins. Do you understand? And whatever anybody has done to you cannot be greater than what you have done to him. So what's your excuse? What do you want to say? This is consecration. Many people don't understand. A lot of people think consecration is first about um, choosing not to wear makeup. And listen, it is commendable that in this generation, in this age and time, there are people who, because of their love for God, decide, I'm not going to put on earrings, I'm not going to put on makeup. Even if everyone is doing it, you might laugh at them, but they have something you need to learn from. Do you understand? They have consecration. But there is a step beyond that, where consecration truly begins. And it begins with, number one, the awareness that we will give account for our actions. Do you hear me? You will give account for your actions. A preacher that I respect, Bill Johnson, um, the pastor of Bethel Church, he, he said this. He said that you begin the life of consecration when you realize that your life is lived before the audience of one. I don't live my life to impress you. Do you know why? Because you have no way to decide the outcome of my life in the end. You may have the money to put me in prison and do all of those things. But in the end, me, I will die. You will die too. And when we both die, we will then stand before the one before whom our life was actually lived. The one who has front row center to your life every day. Every minute, even when you are in your room and on your own. When you think that way, you would realize that there is a call to a deeper walk of consecration that you have lived. That all those times that the Holy Spirit will give you instructions and you would argue with him, sort of like bargain. And you thought you had your way. You didn't have your way. You were just piling up your ledger for the things you would give account for. God does not impute sins against you. Bear in mind. This means that God is not, he's not dealing with you according to your sin. But boy, will you give account for your actions. You hear what I'm saying? You give account for your actions. Especially the ones that you've made a lifestyle. God is not there recording every wrong thing you do. But there are, there are things in your life that you've held on to for so long that the Spirit of God is trying to deal with and you are refusing for him to deal with it. You give accounts for them. So, we must depart from iniquity because we name the name of Christ. We call the name of Christ. What does this mean? We are saved. I explained last week um, when I was talking about the ministry of the Spirit. I started from assurance of salvation. 
you must be assured of your salvation because you have the Holy Spirit. The only way you will go to hell is if the Holy Spirit is going there with you. Because Jesus promised that he will never leave you nor forsake you. In, in Romans, Paul said, if the spirit of him that raised Christ from the dead dwells within you, then he that raised Christ from the dead will also with him quicken your mortal bodies. So how are you going to be raised from the dead on the last day? The Holy Spirit. Which means that your contract with the Holy Spirit is not voided by your physical death. Are you getting it? He carries on with you even when you die. But... Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10, for we are saved by grace through faith. And, um, that, and it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God had before ordained, that we should walk in them. So, although we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, we were created unto good works. Say good works. So there is an amount, there is a standard of morality that God calls my life to. Not because if I don't live moral, I will not be saved, but because he saved me to be that way. Are you getting it? So when the Bible says that everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity, he's saying because you have the Holy Spirit, depart from iniquity. Romans chapter 6, let's start, let's start reading from verse 1. We'll read from verse 1 to 4. Romans 6.1. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then verse 2 says, God forbid. Now, hold on. A lot of people read verse 1. And then what they think verse 1 is an instruction when Paul says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul is instructing you that please do not sin. No. Paul is making an argument. He says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So Paul is not saying, try your best not to sin. Paul is saying that sin should not be found amongst you. If you are dead to it, you shouldn't live in it. You understand? So, Paul isn't giving you an instruction. He's waking you up to your reality. Do you hear me? Have you ever met a person who struggled for a long time to make money? Struggled. And in that time, while they were struggling, they they needed help with many things. Always had to beg for food. Always had to ask for help. Struggle to make money. But then they finally make this money. But now here's the problem. Their minds are so ingrained in poverty that even while they have money, they live like poor people. You, we all know someone like that. They refuse to spend that money. They are very stingy to the extent that they are stingy with themselves because they have this fear that the money will finish one day. Raise your hand if you know someone like that. That's the way you are if you've been called out of sin but you still long for the sin life. That's who you are. We often think that if we let go of these sinful things, we let go of fun. And the truth is this. Fun in itself is not a sin. It's good. But the devil knows how to co-opt and corrupt things that God created for fun. Case in point, sex. I don't know the amount of PR the devil has done for sex. That it seems like when I said sex, some of you cringe like, a pastor, should you be saying that in church? Pastor, that's not a holy word. So now we associate something because the devil cannot, he couldn't have created sex. It's not even possible. He's not that creative. Right? 
But he took it, twisted it, turned it around, made it into something bad, and then we all bought the lie. Something God created for good. That's what the devil does. And so in your consecration, you must be able to look at things and discern, separate. Okay, I know this thing looks like fun, but it's not. It's a sin. It's wrong. And let me teach you something today. There are certain things that you ought not to do, not for any other reason, but God said you shouldn't do it. Do you hear what I'm saying? A lady once asked me, why is sex in marriage, why is sex outside of marriage a sin if God created us with hormones? I have an answer, a psychological answer to that question or a non-scriptural Bible answer to that question. But my first answer to that question is, is it a sin because God said it is a sin and that should be enough. Do you understand? That's what Lord means. You know when you say Jesus is my Lord and personal Savior? We understand the personal savior part because we always say, God, I beg. We realize that after, outside of God, nobody can help us. We understand personal savior. You see that Lord part, we have issues with it. Listen, if someone is Lord over your life, if the person says sit, you sit down first and say, why did you say I should sit? You don't say why. What if I feel like standing up? How dare you tell me to sit? Do you know who I am? You don't do that. So there are things that we ought to abstain from, things that we ought to stay away from, not for any other reason, but that God said so. Things we ought to do, not for any other reason, but the Bible says so. A lot of people will say, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I, I don't hold on to only what the Bible says. You, are, you don't understand what you are saying. If the Bible contains the words of Christ and the instructions of God, then what you are saying effectively is I'm a Christian, but I don't really live by what God said. I choose other means and other things to do. I live my life as I, I feel like. Do you realize that there is no relationship, not even your relationship with your girlfriend or boyfriend, that permits you to be that way? Do you know? I hope you know. Every relationship demands some level of consecration. The word consecration means to be set apart, to separate yourself. Every relationship demands some level of consecration. I know that you are a ladies' man, but the moment you enter into a relationship with a girl and you love her and she loves you, there are some types of hugs you cannot give again. Am I saying the truth? Is that true? You are, you are cool with everyone. I mean, and you don't mean anything by the hug, but in Jesus' name, you start hugging like this from now on, from this side. Let's, let's keep it simple. Because my relationship demands that level of consecration. Is that true? When I got married, when I just got married, a couple of people, I used to, I used to counsel people. And before I got married, I was living alone. So um, my free time was usually in the, in the night. So people would call me by 11 p.m., and then we'll talk about whatever is going on in your life, and then we'll walk through it. But then, when I got married, I realized I have a wife now, which means I have responsibilities towards my wife. Not that she asked for it. My wife has never, since we got married, said, who are you talking to on the phone? As per, 
who is this person. She has never done it. And she has never said, don't speak any call past this time. My wife has never done that. But I realized, someone called me one time. I've told you this story several times. Around 11, and was complaining to me about how her roommate stole her bucket. And then the first question I asked her was, Sister in Christ, do you know that I'm a married man? I have a wife. Like, I have you. Why are you calling me by 11 p.m.? And it's not an emergency. This could have waited till 6 a.m. Or 7 the next day. 11 to complain about bucket. Am I your boyfriend? Do you have a boyfriend? No. That's why. <laughs> but my point is, my marriage demanded from me that level of consecration. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes. So now, I understand if the marriage would work. When I was alone, I was a single boy that's dating but not married. My money was, I used, I used to spend it anyhow. And men are very foolish when it comes to money. I'm sorry if you're a man. Let, let me be honest with you. We are foolish. We spend money on things that don't make sense. Just, they brought up PS5. You just carried your whole salary added to it, and went to buy that PS5. And then, what will you eat the rest of the month? Don't worry. I have this PS5. I'm fine. That's how we spend money. You can see a man that is using one very old techno phone. Old one. He has never changed that phone. But he has PS5 in his house. How much is that PS5? 600,000. 500,000. How much is your phone? 15K. And the phone battery, he will tie it. He will tie it. As long as I can call and drop it, I'm fine. So we're very foolish with spending money. God gave us women to help us. Although some women are like us. So, before I was married, I used to just buy games. I used to just, I, I like playing video games. Right? When I got married, I realized I cannot just wake up and just buy a video game. I'm married now. I remember when we moved to the house where we are living in now. So the house where we are living in was, is significantly bigger than where we were before. And we were using this small TV, a 32-inch TV. So it wasn't really small. It was just the normal size of TV in the parlor. But when we moved to this house, because the wall was so big, that TV looked like an iPad on the wall. It was very small. It was very small. Now, I'm a man. My wife was like, it's okay. It's showing what it's meant to show. But I'm a man. We like... Let me watch. So, so, one day, I got a huge sum of money. I had some money. Some money came into my account. And now, we didn't have a freezer. We had a fridge, but we didn't have a deep freezer in the house. Now, the truth is that in my heart of heart, I knew that that freezer was more important than the TV. I looked at the money in my hand. I called my wife. I said, please. You know, go vex, ma, please. Don't be a please. Can I? <laughs> Can I buy this TV, please? She looked at me and said, we don't have freezer. I said, I know. I promise I will buy you. <laughs> I will buy freezer for the house. I promise. But this TV, please, can we buy it? And then we bought it. Right? But now I'm married, so I know the demands of marriage on, on me, on my finances. I can't just spend anyhow. It's not my money anymore. It's our money. It's everybody's money in the house. Do you understand that? 
That relationship demands that level of consecration. So, when we say, I don't like a church where they tell me what to do, you lie. <laughs> because in your relationship, if you don't call her baby, you're in trouble. If it's sure for you, call her by her first name. And the thing is, you may say it very lightheartedly. You just say, Ada, how are you? Should you just, is everything, are we okay? Are we fine? <laughs> say, yes, we are fine. So why did you call me? But what? Listen, if you are going to have a relationship with God, you must learn consecration. Things you do because your lover said so. And not just that he's your lover, he's your Lord. Let me not talk about your relationship with your bosses because there are some things you have done that you are not, you're not very, very proud of because of your boss. Full graduate, first class. Your boss will call you to the office. At home, your parents will tell you to cook. You say, I'm, I'm more than cooking. That, that's not the only thing I'm good for. Your boss will call, as you enter the office, your boss will say, so go and buy 100 naira beans, this one. You say, yes, sir, yes, sir, carry it down. Because of how much salary at the end of the month. I don't like people telling me what to do. So how about if God says forgive? You forgive not because the person you are forgiving deserves forgiveness. Many people don't. Even you, you don't. You don't deserve God's forgiveness, do you? I mean, if you go by your own standards and by your own definition... Oh, this person, he said he's sorry, but he's still doing it. Have you looked at your own life? How many times have you told God, I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. If you forgive me this one, I will save you for the rest of my life. Then that situation passes. So you don't deserve forgiveness either. So if God says forgive, forgive. Why? Because he said so. If God says fast, fast. Why? Because he said so. We must listen. And this is a, 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 a problem that the pulpit has created within the, the body of Christ. And we must correct today, starting from now. We have often incentivized Christians into obeying God. So we tell you, you don't know if the blessing is in the fasting. Fast because, mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. let's just start from here. There's probably no blessing. God just wants you to. Is that okay? So we're going to fast. Not because we're looking for money or blessing. We're fasting because our Father, our Lord and personal Savior said we should fast. That's consecration. There's something called the hardness of heart. And it's what happened to Pharaoh in the Bible. The hardness of heart. The hardness of heart is not a scenario where God takes your heart and hardens it. No. The hardness of heart occurs when God stops trying to persuade a person to obey his instructions. So, maybe that thing you think you bargained your way out of, it wasn't really a bargain. God just stopped trying to persuade you. It's a dangerous place to be. 
So, let me give you two instances in the Bible where this happened. Noah and the people of the world. For a hundred years plus, Noah stood every day crying out to everyone to change, change the way they thought about God and the way they saw God. Every day. I want you to think about that. Every day. And it was even worse because Noah kept warning them that there is a flood coming. Change your life. God is not happy. And for 120 years, these people refused to heed Noah's warning. Like, think about it. I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. I know how terrible it is that I preached for a whole year and I did not get one person saved. One. When we went out for the evangelism challenge two months ago, Almost every two working days, we were getting people filled with the Spirit. But now, this man has preached one whole year. Nobody was saved. He preached the next year, and for 120 years, he's preaching. Not one person was converted. So God says, it's fine. My Spirit will not contend with man forever. And so when it was time, God closed the ark and flooded the world. Many people don't realize it. You see those vices in your life that God has been giving you signs to fix. He's, he has sent somebody to talk to you. And the thing is, God is very discreet. So he will just tell somebody to tell you that God is calling you into a season of consecration. And as the person is saying it, the Holy Spirit in your heart will be telling you, fix up, fix up. You say, I'll fix up, I'll fix up. In your prayer time, fix up, I'll fix up, I'll fix up. So now you've ignored him. You think you've bargained your way out. You did nothing about it until he just suddenly stopped talking about it. Be afraid. At that time, be very afraid. Because like Pharaoh, if God stops giving you ten plagues, the next step is to close you up in denial. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That stubbornness will drive you to a place and you will be in trouble. And you may not know your way out of that trouble. This is why you must never, listen, don't make it a habit to disobey the instructions of God. And let this be a message that leads you to introspection. Because, child of God, there are many things that the very first time you did it, you were guilty. You felt guilty. Your heart felt like I've done something wrong. You were sad. You told God to forgive you. But now you do it normal, normal. There is no feeling of guilt in your heart. The reason is you have hardened your heart. But the word of God is like hammer. It's able to break it. So now that I'm speaking, allow the word of God break it. This is not the time to form hard guy. Because that's another way hardening of hearts works. Every time the word of God comes, if, see, the Bible tells us something. Um, the promise of the New Testament is that I'll take away the heart of stone and I'll give them a heart of flesh. And he does that by two things. Number one, by giving you his spirit. And number two, by giving you his word for the spirit to act on. So now, here's something interesting. Every time the word of God comes your way, it does one of two things to your heart. It's either it softens your heart or it hardens your heart. What does that mean? It's either you obey it to the softening of the heart 
or you disobey it to the hardening of the heart. And so, every time the word of God comes your way, it is either easier to accept what it says with each new one that comes, or easier to throw it away with each new one that comes. Are you following what I'm saying? What are the areas of your life where God is not allowed to talk again in your life? For some people, it's money. And listen, I'm not the only one who teaches like this. Jesus taught like this. After the prayer for salvation and knowledge in the Bible, the most talked about thing in all of Scripture is money. Once you talk about um, salvation, knowledge of the gospel, the third thing is money in Scripture. Why? Because it can have such a grip on a person's heart that it will upturn everything that you hold there and consecrate. It will upturn everything. In all of scripture, there is no other vice, not even sex, that in this society now, seems like that's the worst thing anybody can do. Not even sex, no other vice that Jesus compares his influence on your heart to God's influence on your heart, apart from money. When Jesus says you cannot serve God and mammon, you can't. You will learn consecration. When you learn to tame your appetites, you will learn to tame your appetites when you learn to tame your appetites for money. I know, and this is the thing, many people think there is a level, or let me say it like this, there is a level of ambition that is a problem. Do you hear me? There is a level of ambition that is a problem. One. Two. Ambition without the right driving force is a problem. So let me tell you a couple of things. Let me say things to you now. Can I level with you? Can I be real? If your ambition for making money in life is that your parents were poor and you don't want to be poor like them, is a problem. Do you know? Because you will never feel like you have enough. No matter how much you've made. Your, your standard of measurement is never before you, is behind you, is always in your past, in your parents' life. So you look back and say, they were poor, I can never be poor. And so you, have, you can even have some money on you and you still be living in the fear of poverty. So now, what drives your ambition is fear. Number two. If what drives your ambition, this, is, this one is very common amongst ladies. I'm not picking on ladies, but a lot of ladies have said this to me. If what drives your ambition is, I don't want to be dependent on any man because I saw what he did to my mother, you are wrong. Yes, please, work hard to be independent. But realize that God's design is not independence, not even for the man. Do you hear me? Not even for the man. God's design was never independence. It was codependence. Are you getting it? So, if your, if your entire goal is, I, I would never be dependent on any man for money, you are wrong. Because now, you have a standard for viewing men that is very dangerous. Such people, you can have a good man before you and because he is rich, you consider him two times. And let's not be like, I'm, I'm dating him for his money. Or he might be richer than you. 
And so God instructs you, marry this person. You say, God, am I, are you sure? I don't want to go and become anybody's trophy wife. And please, and I'm walking this line very carefully. There are some men that are exactly what you are afraid of. Stay away from them. Please. Some, some men, they have money. They marry a wife and they think they've bought property. So they treat their wives like property. Once you just see traits that are showing you, run away. All right? But at the same time, tame that ambition for success because of fear of being, don't let fear rule you. There's another level of ambition that is dangerous. And it is the level that says, as long as it is legal, I can do anything for money. I hope you know that legal is not always godly. Do you know? Yes, Everywhere is awfully quiet. Do you know? Yes, so, as long as it is legal, because the truth is that people who say that thing, they are a very, very thin line away from, I can do anything for money. They just delete the first part of that statement. Say how much? I'm there, I'm down. Let there be some level of consecration. See, there are some statements that are hard, but you must train yourself to say them that if it means pleasing God, I would rather be poor. See, it's a tough statement. Train yourself to make it. A lot of people will think that persecution only comes with when um, 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 terrorists and extremists they put a knife to your neck and say, deny Jesus or die. And many of us have played that scenario in our minds. Say, I will say Jesus. And for Jesus, say, Lord, let them cuckoo kill me. Let me die and go and meet Jesus. Sometimes, the tribulation, the persecution, is that you are in between all your dreams and pleasing God. Everything you've ever dreamt of, everything you've ever wished for, in life is laid before you. The devil takes you and shows you all the kingdoms of this world. And he says, I can give you all of it. All you need to do is bow. And let me tell you, this is a more common persecution than the first. In your lifetime, you may never be threatened with a knife or a gun, deny Jesus or die. But let me tell you something. In your lifetime, almost every day, you will have to choose Jesus above your flesh, above your satisfaction, above your dreams and desires. Listen, it is good to dream. It is good to have dreams. It is good to dream big, have ambition. I've told you, when you come into Christ, Christ doesn't do away with your ambition. He repurposes that ambition. Allow him do so. Allow Christ do so. In 2017, which was five years ago, I went for an interview. And then the young, man, the young man asked me, where do you see yourself in five years? I said, happily married, serving the Lord. It was a job interview. <laughs> I said, happily married, serving the Lord. He said, is that your greatest ambition, to be married? I said, sir, do you know what it takes to be happily married? It is harder to build a successful marriage than to build a Fortune 500 company. You know what it takes. To, you know what it means to be happily married. Well, calm down. 
You know that you need money, a level of money to be happily married. You may be satisfactorily married if you are poor. <laughs> but the prophet said that romance without finance is a nuisance. <laughs> and so the guy looked at me like I had no ambition in life. And I'm like, your, your greatest ambition, you're thinking to yourself, if I had said in five years I want to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, you think to yourself, oh, that's a man with ambition. When we come into the kingdom of God, God doesn't do away with our ambition. He refines it. He makes you see clearly what really matters. What really matters? Praise the Lord. One last thing I want to talk about before we close. Romans chapter 10. We'll read verse 1 and 2. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Verse 2. For I bear them record that they have what? But not according to what? So I want to talk about consecration with knowledge. Consecration with knowledge. So I've spoken about the flip side of consecration, where you need to live in consecration. Do you understand what I'm saying? And before I start talking about consecration with knowledge, allow me add this. When it comes to consecration, you must be intentional. It's not a grace. In the body of Christ, we tend to think everything is a grace. Father, give me the grace to pray. There's no such grace. Do you hear me? Prayer will always require discipline. Father, give me the grace to study the Bible. There's no such grace. You will be the one to pick up your Bible and study it. Do you hear what I'm saying? Father, give me the grace to be consecrated unto you. There is no such grace. He is already working in you to will and to do. It is now your responsibility to partner with him. Are you getting me? Uh Aha. It's not a grace. You must be intentional. Like in your relationships, you must be intentional. Do you get what I'm saying? If the person you are dating says, this is what I want to be called, you become intentional about calling that person that name. Is that right? Uh So when it comes to consecration, you must be intentional. And you must... the, the fastest way to be intentional is to partner with the Spirit. Um, sorry, I know we are in Romans 10, but just put a finger in Romans 10 and let's go to Philemon. The book of Philemon. Philemon has just one chapter. I want us to read from verse 4 to 6. Philemon, chapter um, 1, from verse 4 to 6. It says, I thank my God. Um, can you give this to me in the HCSB so that I will just read it once? He says, I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers, verse verse 5, because I hear of your love and faith towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Verse 6, I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. Your participation in the faith, the way your walk of faith goes, your life of faith, 
becomes more effective by acknowledging. That word knowing is the word acknowledging, coming into, um, so as, as it were, an experiential knowledge of every good thing, referring to the work of the Spirit that is in us for the glory of Christ. So let me give you the backdrop of the book of Philemon. There was this guy named Onesimus. Onesimus used to be Philemon's servant. One day, Philemon went to the market, and Philemon came back home, and his TV was not in the house. His radio was gone. Along with the papers for the house, they were all gone. And Onesimus was also gone with them. Onesimus had stolen everything and run away. Right. So Onesimus heard Philemon was looking for him. Onesimus started hiding from continent to continent until he met Paul. And Paul was like, "Uh uh-uh, uh-uh. Onesimus, is that not you? And Onesimus, ah, they've caught me. So instead of Paul to take Onesimus back straight to Philemon and say, see your tifo, do with him what you want. Onesimus took, um, Paul took Onesimus and trained him in the faith and grew him till he became profitable in the faith. Say the gospel works. So he trained him and grew him till he became profitable in the faith. And then now he wants to send Onesimus back to Philemon. But he's writing to Philemon. And so show me verse 7. Quickly, please. It says, For I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. He's just whining him. He's buffing him up. Verse 8. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right. What do you think he's trying to command, command Philemon to do here? Aha. Uh-huh. Verse 9. He says, I appeal instead on the basis of love. Have you seen elderly people do this thing? I, Paul, as an elderly man, and now also a prisoner of Christ, verse 10, appeal to you for my child, whom I fathered while I was in chain, Onesimus. So I'm sending this guy back to you, and I want you to forgive him. So when Paul says that the communication of your faith may be effectual, he was talking about how I want you to forgive Because you acknowledge every good thing that is in you, which is the forgiveness. Are you getting this now? Because you have been forgiven, forgive. So there is a partnership that we must carry out with the Spirit to see the consecrated life play out. Are you getting it? So now, when you are not forgiving, and the Holy Spirit is saying, because you've been forgiven, forgive you. Now, at that point, as I've told you this story of Onesimus and Philemon, always remember, hear my voice in your head. Now, this is something else. Take note that Paul says, I have the boldness to command you. I can't command you and tell you forgive this person. Why? Because Christ has forgiven you and I am your teacher. Many people don't understand the role of a pastor in the life of a believer. So you come and meet two people are fighting in church and I can command you and say forgive her. Say, pastor, you don't know what I said, forgive her, forgive her. Go back. He said, for this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I can. Praise the Lord. We can command you to do what is right. We can command you to walk in love. Amen. 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 We notice that there's something that's already taking your life astray. The pastor will just call you and say, you see this thing now that you love, this dress. You love it so much. Because every time you wear it to church, you know they behave yourself. 
I want you to carry this dress and give it to motherless babies home. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, carry it. In this generation, say, ha, ah, how dare you? Is it because I come to your church? No, it's because I'm your pastor. I have a right to command you to do what is right. And then when I command you, partner with me to help your life. So when it comes to consecration, you must be deliberate. You get it? You must be intentional about partnering with the Spirit and the people that God puts around you to get there. Amen. You must be intentional. You want to start following one boy and you know that that boy is just is accidents. Like you are going to have a... This, there's no way. You know some relationships, when I see them, I know the lady and I know the guy. I'm like... This lady, I know you from church. This guy, I know you from outside church. How come? And when you were falling in love because you fell, that one you, this, you definitely fell. When you were falling in love, all your friends, by, through, it, it, could have, it was only the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost, through all your friends, asked you, are you sure? You say, it's either you get on board or you get out. It is me and him against the world. They will soon break your heart. And so the boy leads you in, into all forms of vices. And then months later, you begin to regret what you have done. The problem is you didn't partner with the Spirit of God when he was helping your life. Praise the Lord. But then on the flip side, there's such a thing as consecration without knowledge. Doing things for the wrong reason. When you fast to impress God, is consecration without knowledge. Do you hear me? Is because God is not impressed by your fasting. He does not eat. He does not eat. He doesn't need food. So when you tell him that God, I didn't eat for three days, like, oh nice. Okay. He doesn't need food. He doesn't eat. Do you hear what I'm saying? If God calls into a season of fasting, don't think that, ah, now, as I have fasted, blessings everywhere. God must be so happy with me. Have you heard people pray like that before? If you, raise your hand if you are still in school. Raise your hand above your head. All right. Put your hands down. For those of you that are still in school, there's a phenomenon you will observe, especially if you have Christian societies in your school or fellowships in your school. The phenomenon is that throughout the semester, fellowship was empty. Then they announced the exam. Fellowship is supposed to be Wednesday, 6 p.m., 5 p.m. It's full. People are already praying. Shut up. Funny thing is that many of them will still fail their exams. Then when they fail the exam, they come back to God where they left him in chapel. And they say, but I came for fellowship. I paid my offering. I gave tithes. How come I still failed? You didn't read my son. I wish God answered questions like that. And he will answer it openly. So you'll be praying privately. And then everybody in the chapel will not hear a voice from heaven, my son. Now call your first name. You didn't read. Right? But that's consecration without knowledge. We don't give an offering because it will end our suffering. 
Do you hear me? There are all those anecdotes that people use. Give an offering to end your suffering. Mm-mm. God is not a transaction. He's not a banker. So how much do you give? All right. Um, so if you bring two more people, I will multiply it and give you. That's not the way God works. Do you hear what I'm saying? Laugh, but please get the point. So when you are living in consecration towards God, I want you to do it with knowledge. Don't say that, God, as I'm, as I'm giving this thing sacrificially, open doors for me. Let it be that my sacrifice is from my love for you and for your work. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Because this consecration without knowledge thing, has, it has affected a lot of people. A lot of people. There is a church I, I used to go to um, at the end of the year for the end of the year meeting. And at the end of the entire meeting, they used to do this seriously heavy sacrificial giving. And while it is commendable to lead the church in sacrificial giving, once, I think once in a while in this church we give sacrificially. All right, it's commendable. We ought to do it as the body of Christ. But it's not, it's not right that we teach sacrificial giving as a key to opening financial doors. Now, listen. And this is something that a lot of people have missed. Can God instruct you to give as a means through which he will bless you? Yes, he can. God can instruct you, take this amount and sow it as a seed for so, for so and so that will happen in your life. Take, go and do it. And you obey that instruction and boom, it opens up like he promised you. But that's a personal experience. And we must never take what is a personal experience and make it public. So, in several situations, I've shared this story several times. I was watching a man of God preach, and the Lord asked me to take, take an amount of money and sow it as a seed into the man's ministry. It was a personal thing. I did, and immediately, when I did so, towards the end of that meeting, I was praying in the room, and the, and the power of God came upon me. And God told me, I've, I've um, visited you with a healing anointing for miracles. This was towards the end of last year. So when we have miracles in this miracle service, in our miracle services. I'm not surprised. I know where it came from. It's a grace that God engraced me with because I obeyed an instruction. But now, you're now praying that, God, I want to walk miracles. And I say, come. How much is in your account? You have up to 7,000. 7K you have. Oh, yeah. So it as you see, this particular man's ministry, if you drop 7K in this guy's account, That's consecration without knowledge. <laughs> Do you hear what I'm saying? Give because you, for two reasons. Number one, the Bible says you should give. But then number two, because you love the Lord and you love his work. And then third reason, because your appetite needs to be curbed. Do you hear me? So not just giving. Um, all, when the Lord tells you to fast, and sometimes the Lord will call you into seasons of consecration, so the Lord will tell you, you know what, stay, off, stay offline. Leave social media for this week. I want you to just spend time praying and studying the Bible and listening to messages. All right. 
Don't, don't go into that experience expecting that, or more, by the time I'm done this week, I'll be walking on the cloud. Let us, let us delete that transactional mindset that if I give God what he wants, he will give me what I want. Sometimes what you want is not good for you. Praise the Lord. Say, I will have consecration and I will have it with knowledge. I will have zeal for God and I will have it with knowledge. The reason why many people don't serve in church anymore is because long ago, we were told that if you are in a part of the sanctuary keepers, that is those that sweep the church, as you are sweeping the church, God is sweeping away all the debts in your life. And this is the interesting thing. Many people, they were sweeping and sweeping and things were not working in their lives. So they blamed God. And so we no longer see the need. But if we don't come to the church and serve in the local assembly, how can we do church? So how about we serve, knowing full well that God blesses every act of service? He does. So it's not like he's oblivious to it. He will bless it. But you mustn't serve because of that blessing. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things that the heathens go after, they will be added unto you. Now, this is the interesting thing. If I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that all those things will be added unto me, then I'm not really seeking first the kingdom of God. I'm seeking those things, and the kingdom of God is a means to an end. Are you getting it? So if I would truly seek God, I must seek God for God, obey God for God, knowing full well that there is a blessing in obedience. But I'm not obeying because of that blessing. So even when I cannot see the blessing just yet, I will keep obeying. That's, that's the problem with a lot of people. We obey expecting to see an immediate blessing. But many times, the blessing of the obedience is not something you will ever see. It's something you will know when you are in heaven and God will show you because of this obedience here. I mean, think about the woman, was it a woman, who saved Reinhard Bonke, who got him saved? That person would have, ne- she had no way of knowing at the time. And, and, and I think the story goes to us. I'm, I, I might be mixing the stories up. But she woke up and the Lord asked her to go to a train station. And then, no, it was a guy. The Lord asked him to go to the train station. And he went to the train station and it was empty. And the Lord told him to begin to preach. And so he began to preach to an empty train station. No one was there. Or so he thought. In one corner, Hiding in one place, but listening to this man was a great evangelist that nobody knew about. And he wasn't even an evangelist yet. He didn't know God. He didn't love God. He didn't want God. But this man was there preaching. The man finished preaching and led whoever listened to Christ and left. That man had no way of knowing. He had no way of knowing that the millions of souls that this evangelist will win to God will also be accounted unto this man. He had no way of knowing. He had no way of knowing. So why don't we consecrate and obey God for the sake of obeying God instead of looking for the blessing? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Perform some much needed introspection today. What are the areas of my life where I have actually kept God out? I I want God back in. I choose to obey God. Regardless of how difficult it may seem, I choose to obey him. I choose to obey him. 
Praise the Lord. Beyond the money, beyond the blessings, beyond the fame, I choose God. Just go ahead and pray one second. Thank you for listening. For more, head over to circlechurchglobal.org or visit any of the church campus addresses on the website. God bless you.